Welcome to episode nine of TASA's Inspiring Leaders podcast. I'm Eric Simpson, and on today's episode, we'll talk with Porvi Patel and Crystal Shu. Their paper, Capture the Opportunity, Steps to Redesign School-Level Systems for Equity, was released as part three of Education Elements' Returning, Reimagining, Revamping series on reopening schools. Patel and Ju look at some of the overlooked opportunities that the return to schools presents in the arena of social equity. I hope that districts and schools take a very intentional approach to re-examining their systems, like taking that time to pause, connect to the challenge, include their stakeholders, and engage in like a design process where there's constant iteration feedback versus saying, you know, okay, this is what we're going to do and apply it um, one size fits all. By designing with equity in mind, schools can address the systemic racism and bias that affects all students and finally make the lasting changes that schools have pursued for decades. This week is TexEdCon 2020. TASA and TASB collaborate to produce a transformative experience for school board members, superintendents, and other school leaders that improves governance and leadership in Texas public schools and enhances statewide support for public education. This year, it's virtual. Join us for keynotes from Sent Marshall, the CEO of the Dallas Mavericks, and Sean Aker, whose research on happiness made the cover of Harvard Business Review, and his TED Talk is one of the most popular of all time, with more than 22 million views. Plus, register for TexEdCon 2020 and get access to archived session recordings through November 1st. Visit tasa.tasby.org, and we hope to see you there. This summer, Ed Elements took a multifaceted approach to coaching districts through the difficult task of reopening campuses. They knew this would be a watershed moment for public education, and that the disruption caused by the pandemic would require new leadership approaches and a critical look at the efficacy of current systems in schools. As if the pandemic wasn't a big enough challenge on its own, another issue involving system-wide change arose from protests in response to continued police brutality and the Black Lives Matter movement. My guests, Porvi Patel and Crystal Shu, write that with the convergence of the COVID disaster and the racial reckoning happening across the U.S., now is the time to reflect on how leaders can use their locus of control to better design their systems to produce equitable experiences for all students. Porvi Patel began her teaching career with Teach for America in Charlotte, North Carolina, before teaching in Virginia and joining the administrative team in the District of Columbia Public Schools in 2016. She became a design principal with Ed Elements in 2019. Crystal Zhu began her teaching career with KIPP in Houston, was the director of teacher residency in the KIPP Metro Atlanta schools, and has been an instructional coach and curriculum creator for the National Math and Science Initiative. She also joined the Edelmonts team in 2019 as a design principal. Crystal Shu, Porvi Patel, welcome to the Inspiring Leaders podcast. Thanks, Eric. Thanks for having us. Thank you. You all had a piece that um, you put out through Education Elements that was really talking about um, substantially you know, changing systems and, uh, and using the need to be responsive to the catastrophes around us, but also taking that as an opportunity to, to really change the way we've dealt with, with equity. So traditionally, equity has been a big part of, of school conversation. We normally link it to uh, closing achievement gaps or addressing deficiencies. How does the current dialogue around equity differ from the way that it's been approached by schools in the past? I think traditionally, people have often uh, approached issues of inequity or challenges with um, a lot of Band-Aid fixes or, okay, um, if the 
there's challenges with teachers, we'll just like increase the, the teacher staff or the academic achievement is low. So we'll just like add on these new curricular resources and technologies um, and putting on these blanket responses and putting the onus on the children of like, they've done something wrong. Um, instead of asking ourselves, like, what are what is my internalized belief and bias around black and brown children that's preventing me from putting the right structure in place that they need to be set up for success with this activity? Um, or what is like an underlying structure that's like within our school that's not um, serving our students? Uh, and, and so like kind of like flipping it and thinking about the system and structure and our own like internalized um, biases and beliefs um, that might be preventing that um, equal opportunity or achievement from happening is like one way I've seen like the conversation shifting from on like the students and like, oh, you know, so it's a high poverty school. It's it's hard to like, okay, what can we change? You, you talk about um, kind of some of these misconceptions, if you will, where there's some assumptions about what um, children of color can do. And so what are the, some of the things that you've heard from educational leaders uh, about their work in, in improving equity that um, that might be kind of a misconception or, or based uh, off of a, a, maybe an outdated way of approaching uh, social justice or, or equity. Uh, Crystal? Yeah, I think I, I think when Corby and I went through the process of the reflection, and, and I think we, we both agree that you know, these are misconceptions that we either both of us or one of us, like we've held through our journey too. So it's not necessarily bad. It's just like um, self-reflection. One is like around the misconceptions around labels, right? Like Porvi alluded to it. Um, there's a lot of labels in education. And sometimes these labels are like handed. Sometimes they're like, you know, like unspoken norms. And I think when people focus on labels and not the root cause of the, the labels, um, people try to address um, some of the some of the outcomes without really understanding the needs. So, for example, when we think about um, labels that we're familiar with, whether it's um, low socioeconomic status, whether it's like under like achieving right years behind in reading level, I think all of these labels hold misconceptions, and these misconceptions are held by us as leaders, as teachers, and what we identified and what we've understood of how our own assumptions and experiences impacted how we uphold the systems that result in the labeling of students. Um, and, and, and that second thing is that it goes to the second misconception of how we look at data, right? How often is our data skewed that actually provides misconceptions of how we think about equity or inequity within our schools or our districts? Um, and so I think labels, data, and I think the third one is um, how our own work drives what we think about what needs to be happening within our school. And so I think that's the biggest misconception and my biggest reflection, like the crystal from six years ago was probably upholding systems because I didn't unpack certain aspects of my identity, right? Um, not because I was ill-intended, right? Or like I wanted to cause harm, but this misconception of like, as a educator, I held my own assumptions. My assumptions then led to how I approached this work, and I didn't continuously unpack or have people around me to push me um, to the way that could like accelerate my growth. So I think those are like probably the three top ones. Porvi, anything to add? Yeah, I mean, as you were talking, it's it sparked for me like a really key idea that we write about in the paper, and it's the connection that um, all these systems all school education, everything we have is a product of design. There's a person that made very decisions 
to create a system as it exists. And because of that, um, our racism and equities, they are products of design. And so when we go about this process of redesigning and rethinking these systems, that's super crucial that uh, we as like that the leaders, the designers are examining our beliefs first. Otherwise, they are just going to continue to show up in the systems until we can like stop and pause and like really ask ourselves um, at every point of the process, like, what assumptions are we making? Are we upholding underlying systems of inequity? Um, is this like simply a new way of upholding the same existing system or have we actually created something that is serving all instead of some? It seems like we've moved from an individual conversation of we've got to get rid of racist teachers or we have to get rid of racist police officers or we have to, you know, we have to not be racist. And if we're not racist, that problem goes away. But what, what it seems like is being said now is that it, it really does go beyond that. It, it's not an, Crystal, like you were saying there, it's, it's not an admission that, oh, well, I messed it up. You know, my, my, myself from years ago wasn't as, um, as understanding and, and um, empathetic as what I am now. Okay, well, whenever we're looking at systems, how do we start? And what is a, I don't know, is there a particular system within education that you feel like this is really like the time to, to examine it because it's a source of inequity? Yeah, this is such a good question, Eric, because I think we get this asked to us all the time, like both internally, externally, we often debate it ourselves. And, and I, and I think we're in a space right now where that's the that's the kind of the beauty of this capturing this moment is that there isn't a singular system, but it depends on the people sitting in the seat and like the change that you could bring about it. Right. And so like we've had like we've had a lot of discussions and even with, you know, different districts around like, OK, maybe it's hiring. Right. Because maybe we actually start the process by thinking about the people we bring in. And what does it mean to bring in um, mindsets that allow for us to address inequity. Maybe it's discipline, right? Because historically discipline policies have really created the marginalization of uh, especially black boys, but brown and black children. Um, maybe it's how we define success, right? So maybe it's like rethinking what engagement looks like um, and, and really start re unpacking the layers of like, what does it mean for students to truly authentically learn um, and how much of the current system is a result of um, a white dominant perception of what schooling looks like. Um, and then maybe it's parent engagement, right? Because in this moment where I think a lot of districts are, are, are having this conversation of like, how do we really engage our parents as like collaborators in the process, especially since the learning is really extending into the home. Um, those are like just four of many systems that we talked about. But I think at the end of the day, like it's about who is sitting in the seat. Are you ready to tackle and not about which system you tackle? Porvi, you, you work quite a bit with um, the school systems in, in Texas. Um, is, there a, is there a foundational work that needs to be done before districts start trying to uh, redesign a system or examine a system for, for inequity so that it's not just reactionary where we got to do something, but it's actually responsive to the, the problem? Yeah. 
And I think this comes in like the first um, two steps that we outline in our paper of connect and include. And so I think one important point to make is like, don't assume you know what the challenge is. Don't assume you know what the need is, um, but take the time to really, really connect deeply with what you um, hope to change. So like if you are hoping to change um, student discipline, um, take the time to actually connect with that challenge on varying levels. So like one, like connect with your students, your community, your families, do interviews, do surveys, um, go out into the community and ask some questions about what's working well, what's not working, what would you hope to see? Um, also look at the historical context, go deep into your, your district's history and these historical context matters. Like what was um, the foundation that, that led up to like upholding this, continuing to uphold these systems of discipline? So you can actually get at the root of it. Um, and I think the third layer is, is like Crystal talked about data, like look at your data, slice it in different ways, take different perspectives and, and see what it's telling you as to like what the root causes might be. And then continuing to include voices at the table. So like whose voices traditionally haven't been at the table that I need to continue to engage in a very intentional way and engage in ways where they feel safe to engage. That's like another thing to think about because not everyone is gonna feel included um, or able to like share their voice. So you have to think about offering multiple opportunities to give their voice and in different ways. Inviting them to the school might not be the same as going out into the community and like having um, a table or space at the like community center or like the local laundry mat or something like that. Um, so we, we've always recommended districts that you first like take stock of like what, um, what the challenge is and how people that experience the challenge are feeling about it before like going into like the actual design. Now, Crystal, you mentioned data as well. There are traditionally people who have been at the table. First off, how do you how do you know who needs to be at that table? You know, how do you how do you really look at your team and think, okay, what is missing in perspective here? And two, is there any way that we should look at that traditional form of data um, differently than the way it's the way it's been parsed? I love this question and import. We were literally talking about it this last week. I think let's to answer your first one. Um, so oftentimes we think that the table's already set. Be like, this is the table. Now we're going to figure out the problem. Now we're going to solve the problem. And our and our thing is actually to start with the broader um, approach of like truly connecting with a challenge, empathizing with lots of different stakeholder to be able to understand the problem, then to define who sits at the table. And so I think that's our, our first difference in our approach. And I think your second question about data, about you know what is the right triangulation and what is the right way of looking at the different um, pieces of data is something that um, we're right now exploring because it's not just about what is presented, but we're starting to ask questions around how you present it and what is the triangulation of the data that you wanna look at so you're not looking at a piece of data in, in isolation. Right. So the example I would give um, for like an audit that is like uncovering how people uphold and, and, and data skew, like the skewing of data potentially is, all right, don't just look at your discipline rate in isolation. Look at it change over time within a subgroup, right, that is within their progression of K to 12 within your district. Right. So oftentimes we look at like, what is the suspension rate of black and brown or of children for this year, for next year, for the next year? We'll compound that. Do we have the right data infrastructure to say this student's been with us since kindergarten and this is how many times they've been suspended from kindergarten to X grades? 
take that by the minute, multiply that for minutes of lost instruction, triangulate with that academic data of looking at, okay, this many minutes of lost instruction is predominantly around how many years of lost reading instruction. All right, where are they in reading, right? So just keep on layering the data through that aspects um, that will actually tell a clearer picture of what is the true inequity as a result of one system that then has its footings and everything else. Yeah, Porvi, how, how do you, how do you um, as, as districts, you know, like you work with coaches <laughs> and, and instructional support, right? So mm -hmm. whenever they bring you data, um, how, how do you help them understand the limits of what they're bringing you? And what they and what they may need to investigate further. Yeah, so I think Crystal named like a lot of the great ways that you can like combine data, look at data different ways. I think the layer that I, I always encourage them to add. If you have this data, it's telling you that um, it, this group of five kids has an inequitable experience in your school. They are getting um, suspended more. They are losing X amount of instructional time. Um, and then I think you could, could go layer deeper and figure out like look at, okay, is the student getting suspended for what? What is their violation? Who is get, who is getting it? Um, because we've sometimes found that like it might be one teacher that has sent that child out 20 times versus the other like three times were by somebody else. Um, and then ask them about their experience. Like, how does that make them feel? How would they, what would it take for the system to make them feel more success successful? Like ask them those questions. Ask them when they felt success in school. Ask them when they felt proud when they've been challenged. Um, do they feel um, like the system is fair or um, do they feel like they have an adult they can go to? Like there's this like SEL piece that's also missing that like the data can't show you around like, are there other parts of my school culture that like go hand in hand with discipline that need to be like redesigned and reevaluated? Yep. I, I love that empathy piece because you're sparking for me this other piece around like, hiring right like empathy and hiring means like if you really want to like a data piece for that is examining your the hiring practices or patterns of your leaders of our hiring managers and then actually how many times we build the empathy of piece of like someone who didn't get the job right and for us to follow up and understand or someone who left the organization I, i've done i've done so many exit interviews but oftentimes like the best ones we don't do Right. Mm -hmm. And so that that those interview parts are like the empathy, missing empathy that like, what is the completion rate of exit interviews at a district at a school um, that lower the completion rate? You're actually higher the lack of empathy. Right. Because you're not truly understanding why someone is leaving. You're telling yourself the assumptions and based on your experiences of why that person is leaving. It's got to be similar with student panels as well. Right. Like I notice sometimes we'll we'll look at student panels and you see the same students or mm -hmm. not the same students, the same type of students over and over again. We're like, well, we're, you know, on some of these panels, where are the students who are most, uh, you know, most affected by um, a lack of voice, you know, um, your alternative setting students who normally don't get the chance to talk in front of a group of adults and talk about how they, how school makes them feel. Exactly. Mm -hmm. As a leader, as a as a district leader in, in in the middle of one of these systems, you talk about locus of control and how not to be kind of overwhelmed by the enormity of of the task in front of you. For for a leader, um, where's their best chance of making a difference in equity? 
when we define locus of control is within a system that you have direct power over to make some sort of change and you have the ability to listen to your stakeholders to be able to apply that change, right? So we we talk about this a lot because um, a, a principle, your locus of control is not on the funding model of your district, right? Are, are there potential, like, are there inequities within funding models? Yes, right? Is that something impacting your school? Yes. Is that something you can change? No, right? And so that's not your locus. But as a principle, you have the ability to say, all right, I can control how I enact the system around discipline within my building, even though there's district policy. And so I, I think that's how we define the first thing of like, what is the right locus? Where is the right starting point? Um, and what does it mean to do it well and not marginalize even more? Corbin, would you yeah. add anything there? No, I mean, I, th I think you, you phrased it right. Um, I think it's hard sometimes because it's easy to get into the like, but you know, at the district level, this happens, but I have this requirement, but I have that requirement. Um, and it can be hard to focus on like, okay, what do I actually have control over? Um, and so when I work with teachers, for example, in this, in this virtual setting, um, I was chatting with the teacher and she was like, I'm not sure how to help my kids learn all these virtual systems. They told me I have to be teaching from day one, yada, yada, yada. And I was like, okay, but like within that, you have to be teaching from day one. Can you start with a standard that they've learned last year and focus more on them learning the system of how do I up campus? How do I do a discussion board in a bite sized way where they can feel success early on? And she was like, yeah, I can do that. I can make the system work for me within the, the context of what I'm doing. Another thing you can consider when thinking about, like, you know, what is my locus of control? Where do I start? We talk a little bit about like ease, impact, and urgency. So that's like another thing you could consider of like triangulating the three to figure out what is going to be the highest leverage um, and the the greatest impact for my marginalized group. I think it's okay to say that we are going to focus on a marginalized group versus like thinking about like the average or the all. We're thinking about our users at the margins um, and how we can design the systems to serve them because if we can serve them, then naturally we're going to get that average in between. So I think even as a school leader, you can be open about saying like our data is telling us that um, X population of kids is not being served. And so we are going to engage in a design process where we're going to figure out how we can better serve this specific population. And being honest and transparent about that is also important to like say that I am prioritizing equity and I'm going to do that with my actions too. You obviously have to be intentional, but um, how explicit do you have to be with your stakeholders, your your parents, your students, you know, your your community members mm -hmm. uh, about what you're doing um, in response to um, racial inequity uh, or or any other type of inequity? A, a lot of communities will also view that as a political statement. We, we were talking to one of our superintendents, Roosevelt Nivens. He he had this great quote where he basically said, you know, well can't lead someone if you uh, alienate them. So, um, I mean, how, how explicit should one be? And how do you deal with the political implications and how do you separate that out? Uh, we were having a conversation with our CEO about, or, uh, about this of like, you know, mm -hmm. making it safe enough for people to actually, to put a stake in the ground, but not so like, not to a point where like, they're no longer safe politically, right? For a lot of our superintendents um, and just even leaders. And I think it's this piece of isolating what is the right thing to start with and what is the right like 
um, spark, right? We use the word spark, but it's like, what is the, the right point to unwound? And, and I think, I think when we've seen this work done, it's either people are picking something that is popular, trying to solve it for inequity, awesome. Or when that happens, when it's popular, it might not be a thing to actually start the biggest work, right? It might be popular because it's big, it's out there, you get a lot of attention, people are seeing it, but as soon as that attention is gone, right? Or as soon as that that outside influence is gone, it no longer becomes the right piece to keep on working and it sort of falls apart. Um, or it's like for a superintendent or a leader is like, it doesn't have to be the bite off, right? But it's like, if this is the work that you really want to do, pick the right bite that you can start gaining energy and gaining collective power and gaining collective influence and collect uh, collective, like building your pack of people who are like, this is the work. So I think one is like the size of change, the reason for the change, right? So it's not just something that is popular or flashy, but also at the same time, um, you're building your collective voice because you can't be the only one saying this, this is why we do this work. And so you need time to build input um, and buy-in. One of our managing partners said this to me when Porvi and I were getting ready to put out the paper. And she's like, at the end of the day, they just have to be super strong in their conviction. Right. And she's like, you have to know what you're trying to do is like core to who you are. So you have to really unpack that and know that this is what you truly, truly believe in. And this is what you truly need to do. And you could anchor and you could anchor yourself in that. And I think she was a, a previous superintendent and she was saying, at the end of the day, this is what I truly believe in. I'm going to like step in and do this. But if I'm only hearing the voices of others influencing me, then when it's hard, I sometimes waver. Right. So we're. We're recording this the uh, last full week of August, and uh, just a few days ago, there was another shooting in Wisconsin. It, it seems like these issues will continue to evolve throughout the rest of 2020, more than likely into 2021. Like, what trajectory do you think uh, equ this equity discussion will follow in education in the months to come? So, I I can start with what I hope to see. I hope this. This this drives people to to take more action with like examining their own beliefs that we've been talking about and their own biases and how that might live in their classroom or in their schools, making more conscious efforts um, to 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 change the narrative of like how curriculum is taught. Like a lot of our curricular resources are from the white narrative. Um, how can we bring in other perspectives and narratives and start to have um, those discussions across difference? Um, I hope that districts and schools take a very intentional approach to re-examining their systems, like taking that time to pause, connect to the challenge, include their stakeholders, and engage in like a design process where there's constant iteration feedback versus saying, you know, okay, this is what we're going to do and apply it um, one size fits all. That's what I hope happens. I think I, I always have the worry of the, the checkbox equity of like, yes, this has become um, an elevated conversation nationally. And so there's like, we we check, we did our diversity equity training, pre-service week, we're done. Um, so I hope this, this pushes people to like weave it in into their culture versus like treating it like an isolated thing. Crystal, anything you'd like to add on that one? Yeah. Um... It's the balance of optimism with realistic, right? Um, but at the same time, I like to say, like, what is happening in our country is not new, and we know that. And so, for me, when I think about what I hope this sparks, or what I hope this allows, um, is for the conversation to move out of the two extremes, 
um, for the conversations to move out of just learning and for the conversation just to move out of acting quickly and be able to merge the two um, and start a series of redesign that is not just about a one-time thing um, and that we're actually sparking a process of uncovering and changing. And so, so when people come to us and say, can you give us a really great example of an anti-racist classroom or anti-racist hiring practice or, you know, this system, we have so many examples to give, right? Because people have started this redesign. Um, and I've been leaving, I've been leaving a few of like these conversations with this quote because um, my coach many years ago shared it with me at a moment where I felt like I was tested because I was leading through trauma. It's the uh, Leonard Cohen quote anthem. And it says, ring the bells that still can ring. Forget your perfect offering. There's a crack in everything. That's how light gets in. And that we know that these cracks have existed and light is now getting in or, and people are starting to see the light. And I hope that when people see the light, it sparks them to say, this is a point that we can start the unraveling of inequity within school districts. Crystal Shu, Portview Patel, I admire the work that you all are, are doing with Ed Elements. Thank you so much for appearing on our podcast. Thanks, Thank you. That was Crystal Shu and Porvi Patel, courtesy of Education Elements. Find their paper, Capture the Opportunity, Steps to Redesign School-Level Systems for Equity, and more resources for reimagining school systems at www.edelements.com. We've shared the link to their paper, along with their Twitter handles, in our show notes. We thank all of you for tuning in to the TASA Inspiring Leaders podcast. We'll have new episodes throughout this fall, so be sure to look for us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe. Thanks to Crystal Shu and Porvi Patel for this week's interview. And a special shout out to Ben Politzer from Ed Elements for making this show possible. Until next time, from all of us at TASA World Headquarters, stay safe and healthy.